So have you ever been trapped? Ever, ever been trapped? A few weeks ago, uh, the elevator here at the church uh, had, had a little, little case of the hiccups, and we, we called the repair guys to, to come look at it. Um, Ricky, who takes care of our facilities, uh, he, he looked at it, and he was thinking, I think it's just a temporary glitch, you know? Just, just a little something didn't reset. So he put a chair in the elevator and uh, pushed the up button and then went upstairs to see if it made it up there. I thought, that's pretty ingenious. So uh, I heard about it, came down, asked Ricky what was going on, what's happening in the elevator. We called the guys, blah, 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 and, and I, I step on in the elevator. And he told me what he did with the chair, and he's like, hey, why don't you, why don't you ride it up, give it a try. And I was like, all right. So I pushed the button, and as soon as the doors closed, I went, wait a minute, why did he tell me to give it a try? And then by halfway up, I thought, well, I know why Ricky did that. Ricky knows I'm the kind of guy that likes taking things to the next level. <laughs> I tell you, the other thing that was going through my mind as I was going up, though, I was like, I have so much work to do today. I cannot get stuck in this Vader. Please, no, 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 no. Too much work, too much effort, uh, so many things happening, so many things going on. But I, I will report uh, that I was able to get back to my work. Um, I, I did not get stuck in the elevator. It worked fine. We still had the guys come out, so it's, it's all good. But you know, sometimes in life, we, we might get stuck, might get trapped in an elevator. We might get trapped in traffic somewhere on the interstate. We might get stuck in line at the DMV. We might get trapped with our great Aunt Griselda at the family reunion. And she's telling us for the 47th time that she met Wayne Newton at the Steak and Shake in Kokomo, Indiana. And you have to hear that story over and over and over again. Sometimes we get stuck. Sometimes in life we, we get trapped. And sometimes it's, it's not peripheral things like that. It's, it's deeper than that. Sometimes it's, it's something in our, our heart and our mind. It's pain. It's sadness, it's stress, it's anxiety. Sometimes we're trapped with wealth. Sometimes we're trapped with poverty. Sometimes we're trapped with anger or frustration or apathy or fear or worry or depression, discouragement, and on and on the list can go. So is there anything we can do? Is, is there any help when we get trapped like that? Well, we continue our series today uh, called Doors, where we are looking at some of the most defining doors that you and I face in life. And as you can imagine, today's message is trap doors. Trap doors. We'll be looking at James, James chapter 5. We'll be beginning in verse 7. And, and we'll be looking at James, because here's what James is going to do for us. James is going to give us help for all of the trap doors in life that we face. James chapter 5, beginning with verse 7. James writes, Therefore, be patient, brothers and sisters. I really like eating good food. I really don't like waiting in line for any kind of food, good or bad. When my daughter was younger, we took her on her birthday one year to the restaurant of a famous TV chef. And from the time we put our name on the waiting list to the moment that we sat down to eat was two hours. 
hadn't even ordered a lick of food, and it was two hours. At some point in this process, I turned to Bailey, and I said, Bailey, I want you to know the sheer fact that I am waiting to eat here is proof of my love for you. (laughs) James is talking about something a little deeper than just being patient and waiting on food. The picture here is a Christian that's under deep stress. James is writing to a group of people who understood what it meant to be persecuted for their faith. Let me be clear about this. We are rarely ever persecuted for our faith. Watching Fox News and hearing that we're losing religious liberty, that's not persecution. Persecution is when you are physically and brutally sometimes tortured because you say you are a Christian. These folks understood what it meant to truly be persecuted for their faith. These were people that understood mental distress, spiritual distress, emotional distress, and even physical distress. Anybody had any of those in your life this week? Spiritual, mental, emotional, or physical distress? Well, These folks knew all about it. He's addressing people that understood what it meant to be oppressed. And what is the advice that he gives them? Does he tell them, hey, fight for your rights. You you stand up for yourself. No. (laughs) He tells them to to be patient. Ah, patience. Come on. It's got to be something better than that. Now he says be patient. He says don't fret. Don't worry, don't be hasty, don't be stressed, be patient. Someone described patience as long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. Hanging in there, obeying over and over again. Patience. And the word that James uses here for patience means that you take a long time to get mad. It means you're not quick to get angry. You're not quick to get upset. Not not perfect because none of us are perfect, right? We all have our moments. But when you look at the, the general pattern of your life, you do not see that the general pattern of your life is that most consistently you get mad and angry and frustrated and lose it in most situations in life that don't go your way. He says be patient. And that's easier said than done, right? So, so how can we be patient like this? One day Jesus was teaching his disciples and he was talking to them about worrying. And he simply said, look, do not worry. The Bible paraphrase, the message expands and comments a little more on that. It describes it this way, Matthew chapter 6. Give your attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Well, la-di-da, right? I mean, come on. That sounds beautiful and flowery. But here's the thing. These these are the, the words of Jesus that are being described. So just listen to them quickly again. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow.
tomorrow, God will help you deal with whatever hard things when they come up and when the time comes. That's a pretty good picture of being patient. Don't, don't get worked over, over what, what may happen, but give your attention to what God is doing. And then Jesus gives this promise. When the hard moment comes, when the hard stuff comes, God will give you what you need. He'll provide for you in that moment. But here's a hard question for us. Will we take what he gives? In the moment when the hard things come, will, will we receive it or will we reject it? Because here's the thing, if we really kind of peel away the layers of our heart and mind, the reality is sometimes it's the difficult thing that we kind of get addicted to. We put more attention on the addicted thing. We put more attention on the difficult moment. To put it another way, whether we want to admit it or not, every single one of us, sometimes we love being the drama queen. We do. We can act like it's not true. There's some macho guys going, hey, no drama queen, what are you talking about? Let me ask you a question. You ever been playing golf and you get behind a foursome that is crazy slow on the third hole and they don't let you pass? And you spend the rest of the day going, God, these guys are so slow. Can't even get around. Why won't they let us through? I'm just going to hit my ball into them. You do that for the next three hours, guess what? You're a drama queen. Okay. We all have this proclivity to be a drama queen, and here's why. The hard thing, sometimes it becomes so familiar, it's just easier. It is. It's just easier to be stressed. It's easier to be depressed. It's easier to be angry. It's just easier than it is to shift, to change. To, to look at God. See, to turn to God, it requires that you turn, okay? It requires that you turn the TV off when you're watching the news that's making you angry, you know? It means that you turn your phone off at the dinner table in the restaurant instead of scrolling through all the stuff that people just bought that you can't buy, Okay? You turn, you turn, you turn. But that takes effort. To read the Bible, to, to pray, to, to seek Christian counsel, it takes effort. So we like being the drama queen because it's just easier. It's easier for us to be angry. It's easier for us to be stressed. We, we seem to get more attention, right? If we make a big deal, if we're the drama queen, then people will pay attention to us if for no other reason than sometimes just to, to get us to shut up so they can move on. But turning to God, it takes effort. It takes energy. And we can all fall into the trap of the drama queen. But James helps us. He's going to help us kind of get out of that trap. Look at the next part of verse 7. Therefore be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Here's the, the true key to patience, the return of Jesus Christ. If you're looking for the key to being patient in this life, the key to patience is the return of Jesus. Somebody did the math, and from Matthew to Revelation, the whole of the New Testament, the return of Jesus Christ is mentioned one time for every 13 verses. That's, that's a lot of mentions of the return of Christ. I'm thinking with that much, the return of Jesus, it must be a big deal. 
So James is saying, look, be patient when you are oppressed. Be patient when you are distressed. Be patient when you are stressed. Be patient when things don't go your way. Why? Because Jesus is coming again. It's not random patience. It's not foolish patience. It's patience with direction. It's patience with purpose. More often than not, if we will let the return of Jesus Christ fade away from our minds and our hearts and our attitudes, how we think, how we pray, how we sing, then more than likely we will move toward discouragement. We will move toward frustration. We will move toward selfishness. We will move toward worldliness because we'll just forget that Jesus is coming again. Jesus was teaching one day and, and he gave a warning. He was teaching about his return. And the warning that he gave went like this in Luke 21. But be on your guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with the worries of life. You don't have to raise your hand. Anybody been weighed down with the worries of life? You know, let's don't even say this week. Anybody been weighed down with the worries of life this morning on the way to church? <laughs> Jesus said, don't be, let your heart be weighed down with the worries of life. And that this day, the, the return of Jesus, his return, and that this day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. You don't want to be trapped with the return of Jesus. If Christianity is just this, you know, so-so religion to you or let those Christians do their thing. Listen, Jesus was very clear. With him, eternal life. Without him, eternal death. With him, union, relationship, joy, happiness, peace with God. Without him, separation from all that is good and holy forever and ever and ever. Jesus did not give us the option to say Christianity is a nice religion. So do not let the return of Jesus suddenly come upon you like a trap. Turn to him today. Repent. Receive his salvation. But the picture for Christians is this. The ultimate finish line is not what we think it is. The ultimate finish line is, is not a, a college degree. It's not a, a dream job or a dream house or a dream car. It's not marriage and kids and grandkids and a, and a relaxing retirement. All those things are fine. But the finish line, the ultimate, true, lasting finish line is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the finish line. All of life for a believer is to be lived under this umbrella of the return of Jesus Christ. It's supposed to be a part of everything that we are. And when it is, everything else in life has a different flavor. There's a little something different to all that we do. At home, at work, at school, at Steak and Shake, wherever you are, there is this hope that you are seeing things through different eyes. Now, what does that look like in real life? What, what James tells us just straight here in the text. Verse 7. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and late rains. Now, the audience would have got this, not so much today as, as in this time, because most of the people that heard this letter the first time were either farmers or they had family who were farmers. My guess is I'd say probably less than, than 10 families in our church have a farmer right now and, and maybe have had a farmer. 
but they understood this language. And it's been noted that, that back in the day, what they would do is they waited for the rains in October because the rains in October would soften up that hard Middle Eastern soil so that they could plant the seeds. But, but then they had to wait until the rains of May before they saw any fruit from the seed. In other words, the farmer had to wait, had to work and wait, work and wait, work and wait. And why did he do that? Well, he did that because he knew that as time went on, working and waiting became more important, not less important. Let's don't miss the, the Christian uh, principle there too. If you're looking for a Christian retirement plan as we all grow older, that's it right there. As time goes by, you don't work less for the Lord. You work more for the Lord. As time goes by, you, you don't wait less for the Lord. You wait more for the Lord. As we grow old in age, as we grow old in Christ, the longer the time goes, the more important working and waiting becomes. We work and we wait and we work and we wait because there is something happening in the working and the waiting. And what is that? What do we need to learn from Farmer Ted here? Verse 8. You too be patient. Patience is not just for the farmer. It's for me and it's for you. We have been called to be patient. Let me tell you something that you may not know about me. I am a selfish, arrogant difficult sinner and so are you we all are we do not want to admit it we'll fight it tooth and nail but we all are and the picture we have here is a reminder God is so amazingly patient with us and, and it just, it feels like such a, a rude, slanderous insult to our Creator who is so patient with us that we are so impatient with one another. We're so unwilling to wait. We're so unwilling to give grace and mercy. We want it all and we want it now, right? Whether it's results from the, the test at the doctor or whether it's our, our chicken and waffles when we're going through the drive-thru at the fast food place. We, we want it now. We don't want to wait. Come on, I want it now. We have no sense of patience. Now, that doesn't mean we should be foolishly patient, right? I mean, if something's happening and there needs to be action or we need to defend or help, we're not talking about that. What James is saying is this. Don't let the actions of other people or the lack of action from other people intimidate you, control you, and create this sense of impatience in your life that dominates your attitude. Rather, James says, be like the farmer and work and wait and believe and be patient. Be patient. In other words, don't expect waves of comfort all the time. Don't expect waves of enjoyment all the time. Don't expect waves of everything going your way all the time. Don't expect those things because life is hard and life is difficult and we will struggle. And we should not be surprised at sin and evil in the world, right? 
We shouldn't be surprised that, that everything is the way it is right now in our country and our world. We shouldn't be surprised. It's always been this way. It was this way in the garden. It was this way in Egypt. It was this way in, in every ancient civilization, the, the Romans, the Greeks. It was this way with Hitler and Stalin. It, it's always been this way, and it's this way now because this is what sin does. It's the curse of sin. And the curse of sin is on the world. And that curse, it creates pride. It creates rebellion. It creates selfishness. The curse of sin, it, it distracts us. It divides us. It destroys us and devours us. It's what sin does. It's what sin is. And that's why we need a Savior. That's why James is writing this. He's writing this to people who were severely oppressed, who were persecuted for their faith. And he's reminding them, oh, look at the salvation that we have in Jesus. Look at this Savior that has come to us. This is why the news about Jesus is the greatest news in the world. The prophet Habakkuk was writing about this great hope, and he said this, Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Have you ever looked out at the ocean and just it's just water and water and water as far as the eye can see? The glory of God is coming to fill the earth like we see the water on the sea. Evil will disappear and the glory of God will fully appear. This is the promise of the gospel. This is the promise that Jesus made, and it's why we work and we wait and we believe, and we work and we wait and we believe. We are patient because we know the day of evil is going to disappear. Some people hear the word patience, and they go, uh, I ain't waiting. Man, action. Woman, action. Come on. I ain't waiting. Let's do it. Let's do it. Look, I'm a person of action too. I'm crawling up on the back of the pew back there to make sure the lights don't fall on Ashley's head, all right? So I'm, I'm, I'm an action person, all right? But patience, again, is long obedience in the same direction. Patience is working and waiting and believing and trusting. It's an action verb. So we work, we wait, we believe, and what do we do while we're working and waiting and believing? James says this, verse 8, strengthen your hearts. Well, how do you do that? Need to add some, some cardio to your routine? Need to start eating some raw beets? Hey, have at it, whatever. <laughs> but that's not what James is talking about. James is talking about your spiritual heart. He's talking about that part of you that actually defines who you are. Listen, it's the part of you that people will talk about at your funeral. So what are people going to say about your heart? At your funeral, what is that thing that defines who you are? James says, strengthen your heart spiritually. If you're a Christian, here, here's just some basic ways to strengthen your heart. It all comes back to remembering. In the moment of the difficult circumstance or when everything's going great, you're remembering, 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 remembering. What are you remembering? Here's what you're remembering. You're remembering that you once were lost, that you weren't always a Christian, that you didn't always, you know, go to church maybe. And if you did always go to church like me, you still weren't a Christian. You were lost. You remember that when you were lost, 
You were separated from God. You were far off from God. You had no hope in this world and no hope in the world to come. You were lost, separated from God. But then you remember that you've been found. You remember what Jesus did for you on the cross. And you remember that in him, your chains are gone. And if your chains are gone, then you also remember that God did not save you to be a selfish jerk or to be a selfish jerkette. No, God saved us for what? Paul said, for good works. We've been saved and redeemed for good works to make much of the name of Jesus. And part of the way that we do that, part of the way that we do the good works, that we do much for the name of Christ, is we remember this one thing first and most, and that is this, Jesus is returning. That's how you strengthen your heart. I mean, really, that is how you strengthen your heart. I was at my daughter's college graduation yesterday, and, and former Vice President Mike Pence was the speaker and and he made a very powerful comment about when he was in college he started hanging around with Christians and it seemed like a cool fun thing to do and and one of the guys that he liked the most had a a cross like a you know necklace with a cross on it he thought it was pretty cool so he said all right well I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get me one of those so he was like yeah tell me where you got that I'm, I'm gonna get one of those and the guy looked back at him and said you know what you have to wear it around your heart before you wear it around your neck. It's true. (laughs) See, you can't strengthen your heart with social media. Sorry. You can't strengthen your heart watching the news. Sorry. You can't strengthen your heart playing golf or going shopping. Sorry. You can't strengthen your heart doing, doing yard work. Again, I'm not talking about your physical heart. I'm talking about your spiritual heart. The only way you can strengthen your heart for all of the trap doors that we're facing in life is to remember that Jesus is coming again. It's, it's not a fairy tale. It is the hope that we are hanging on to moment by moment and minute by minute. And why does that make us strong? Look at verse 8. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. I love Tammy's opening prayer, just about being trapped, about feeling trapped. Do you feel trapped? Is there something that's making you feel trapped today? Is it pain? Is it sadness? Is it anger or frustration? Is it depression? Is it wealth? Is it poverty? Do you feel oppressed or or distressed or stressed? Is there something happening in your life you're saying, it's just not going my way, and you feel trapped with all of that? Well, James says, hey, the way to get untrapped is to remember that the Lord is near. Charles Spurgeon just has a way of saying things. He said this, Soon you will hear the silver trumpets which announce the coming of your king. Be not in the least afraid. Hold the fort, for he is coming. Yea, he may appear this very day. I shared this with you a few months ago. I'll share it with you again. I don't care what age you are or how old you are. The nicest, most loving thing you can do for your family before the end of the day today is to plan your funeral. (laughs) I'm serious. It's a stressful thing on your family 
to think of what you want to sing and who you want to preach and what you want prayed and read. It's a beautiful thing to look and start thinking through those things and to remind ourselves won't be here forever. And that's okay if I'm in Christ. And it's terrifying if I'm not. But there's this picture of holding the fort, holding the line, not being afraid in the least bit, he says. Not being thrown off in the, in the least bit. Now look, we're human. We're going to be afraid, okay? It's going to happen. We're going to get thrown off. It's, it's going to happen. But the challenge is fantastic. Don't let it define you. Don't let all of the, the negative emotions of life define who you are. Hold the fort. Hold the line. Jesus is coming. Be patient. Work and wait and believe Jesus is coming. Be patient. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Now, the atheist, the agnostic, the Easter and Christmas only Sunday Christian might say, mm, maybe. I mean, it's been 2,000 years, so it sounds like Jesus doesn't understand the concept of, of being near. You know, the definition of trapdoor is very interesting. Merriam-Webster puts it this way. A lifting or sliding door covering an opening as in a roof, ceiling, or floor. I have never thought of a trapdoor being in the roof or the ceiling, Right? I mean, I'm just always in the middle of Scooby-Doo, right? You know, the gang's all in the same room and, and everybody's together and then suddenly Daphne disappears, you know? And Shaggy and Scooby get super scared and, and they start quivering and Scooby jumps up in Shaggy's arms and, and you know, Fred and Velma, they're cool as a cucumber, they just start looking around, you know? And within a few seconds, they see Daphne's footprints on the floor and the outline of a trap door, you know? Trap doors are in, are in the floor, right? But I think it's fascinating that the definition says the trapdoor could be above you. See, one of the biggest trapdoors is that if it doesn't happen when we think it should happen, then it can't be right. <laughs> Guess what? That's how you're going to treat your doctor this week, you know? That's how you're going to treat that guy at the, at the register at QT, although they're pretty fast there, you know? That's how we treat things in life, right? We, we want it now. So if it doesn't happen on our calendar, our time, well, something's wrong. Can I just say there is absolutely nothing wrong with the return of Christ? It's right on time. And today, today, if you're not a Christian, be excited about that. You have the opportunity today to make things right between you and God before Christ returns. You don't have to fall into the ultimate, most terrifying trapdoor of all. So when we hear that the Lord is near, it's a reminder for us not to look at the floor. See, we have a way of turning that trapdoor frown upside down. See, instead of always looking at the trapdoor of what we don't like, of what we want different, of what we want back to the way it used to be, or the way we want things in the future, or whatever it is that's, that's frazzled us and makes us mad and scared and afraid and whatever else. We take all of those things and say, you know what? Those are all trapdoors. They're trapdoors of idolatry. They're trapdoors of worship. And they're going to lead us farther and farther away from Christ. 
If we're obsessed with the future or obsessed with the past, we're going to miss what God's doing right now. Those were the commands of Jesus. Pay attention to what God is doing now. So we need to quit looking down at the trap door, and we need to start looking up at the trust door. It's the trust door that needs to have our affection and our attention. That looking up and remembering that the Lord is near, that Jesus is coming again. There's a German pastor and theologian many years ago. He was asked, hey, what would you say to Jesus when he comes back? This is what he said. I knew you meant it. That's good. I knew you meant it. I knew you were going to come through. Most of us try to be good family members, good friends. The best compliment I've ever gotten is from my best friend's wife when she said one time, well, you can always count on Dow. You, know? <laughs> you can't, by the way. Um, but, but it's nice. It's a nice sentiment. We love to be counted on, right? We love to be reliable. We want people to be able to depend on us. But all of us are sinful. We all fail. We cannot perfectly be counted on. But Jesus can. Jesus can. And we can believe. And we can say with our hearts today, I knew you meant it. I knew it. J.R. Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings, it's the sixth book in the fourth chapter, I believe. It's this moment where Samwise Gamgee, he's, he's waking up after being a part of the, of the great final battle. And he's kind of woozy and, and kind of just, you know, kind of getting his wits about him. And he sees Gandalf the wizard. And he goes, Gandalf, I, I thought you were dead. But, but then anything, I, I thought I was dead too. And then Samwise says this to Gandalf. Is everything sad going to come untrue? You know, you know what I love about that statement? Is Sam was acknowledging that there's sadness. He's acknowledging that, that things are not always good. In other words, he's acknowledging what we all know. There is something terribly wrong with the world. Terribly wrong with the world. There is darkness, there is sadness, and there is trapdoor after trapdoor after trapdoor in every corner of our life. Why? Because that is how the curse of sin works. The curse of sin dominates. The curse of sin, in a sense, seems to own the world. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Yes. See, the reason we put our hope in the return of Jesus Christ is because Jesus is coming to remove the curse of sin and to truly and finally and ultimately change the world. Look, from family and friends to great medicine to clean drinking water to life-saving surgeries to burgers and shakes. Man, there, there's a lot of wonderful people and wonderful things in life, good things in life. But none of those people, none of those things can remove the curse of sin and change the world. Only Jesus. 
doesn't mean we shouldn't expect much of, of ourselves as humans. We should. But we are humans. And we're going to sin and we're going to fail. You may have seen the quote that's been floating around the last few weeks. What has become of things that now when you disagree with someone, you have to hate them? That is our culture. And let me just confess for all of us, every single one of us can fall into that trap in a millisecond. The curse of sin is real, and so is the return of Christ. There are no politicians and no pastors, parents, grandparents, athletes, gurus, burgers, or shakes that are going to remove the curse of sin and change the world, but Jesus will. Michael Kruger said this, there is no message more relevant to those living in a dark world than a message about how that world will one day be changed. There's no greater message than that. No greater message than the message that the dark world will be changed. And it won't be changed with the next election. And it won't be changed with the next pastor. And it won't be changed with the next anniversary or the next birthday or the next degree or the next house or the next, you know, great lawn. It will be changed by Jesus Christ. Therefore, we continue over and over again to give you the message of Jesus. It's the only message we will ever have to offer, and it's this. Jesus is returning. The Lord is near. He's near. And only Jesus will remove all of the trapdoors. And listen, only Jesus will make all the sad things untrue. Be patient. Work. Wait. Believe. The Lord is near.